Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know, people are always going on about how we need to have uncomfortable conversations. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess if you're really into that. I prefer the hot topic and chill method, as you might know, which is why welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce. And today's conversant is Allison Tiemann from Honey Badger Radio. Honey Badger Radio is a collective of uh, mostly women, but men and women who tackle men's rights issues and advocate for the better treatment of men and the better conception of men's role in society. I spoke with one of their members, Brian Martinez, a few weeks back, and Allison is the founding member of Honey Badger Radio. And in this conversation, we talk about what she considers to be the deep structures of the problems that we're dealing with. So what is underneath all these different various scuffles within the so-called culture war? She and I dig down into what she thinks of as the first principles of where we are going astray in our society. We also talk about men's rights issues after we kind of cover the basis of you know those deep, dark problems that we're all kind of manifesting. Great conversation, rather expansive, so I've cut about a half an hour out of it. It was live-streamed on Monday, May 3rd on the Honey Badger live stream channel, so if you want to get a little bit of extra content, you can head over there for that. But I think this particular edit sufficiently covers the topics at hand. And without further ado, here is Allison from Honey Badger Radio. So Brian kind of gave me the overview and my audience the overview a little bit. I guess we got a little bit of the history of HBR. We at least learned that it wasn't a sex position and uh, some of the overarching themes that you're dealing with. But while we Our audience like, is now inventing that sex position, by the way. <laughs> I can they? hear Ed drawing it. Yeah, no, I, I guarantee it. They're, they're, they're oh, unique. No. How many Rule 34s can they break at once with one yeah, name? Exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, the, you know, the door's open, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Open and, and well lacquered, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, let's get a little bit specific. Over the past 12 months, what have you like seen like the topic or the theme that you've been focusing on over the past year since I guess since COVID lockdown? And it doesn't have to be about the disaster mm. that was 2020, but just in as as it's grown and developed organically, what what have you guys been digging into of late? Well, well of course our theme is always the issues that men face and representing a compassionate view of men and uh you know and i think a more realistic view of men um so we haven't really deviated from that i think in the last 12 months i've tried to avoid talking too much about the current situation with covid the current situation with the elections and uh the current situation with right like the current situation with pretty much everything <laughs> yeah. and tried to stick to you know stick to our staples which has been 
paying attention to the situation for men. Sometimes these situations impact men uniquely and we bring that up, but that's what I've been trying to focus on. Mm-hmm. I personally have stepped back a bit from, from Honey Badger Radio. So it's Brian's been stepping forward. Hannah's been stepping forward. They've been the drivers in a lot of the content. Like in, to, for example, I think both of them and Brian can correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're a little bit more conservative than I tend to be. So it's, it might have had a bit more of a conservative leaning than I would necessarily give it. But for me, I've been sort of just watching what's going on and thinking about the underlying issues and the underlying uh, problems that these are symptoms of. So I've been sort of just observing, shall we say, watching, hmm. lurking, mm-hmm. <laughs> cogitating on everything that's going on. Yeah. What, what are some of those deep issues? Ooh, okay. All right. Um, this is like my favorite part. So uh, is oh, there, we, got, is there we, we went right analysis, to the The deep nugget. analysis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we want to, we want to just, uh, just, just paddle around in the, in the shallows a bit before we dive right in. But I, I'm perfectly happy with going yeah. into that. Cause that's my favorite part is like the, the underlying dynamics of everything that's happening. Yeah. Because I have an interest in gender dynamics, uh, my interest is actually greater in scope than just the men's issues. Men's issues seem to be, for me, an additional data set that I get to integrate into the entire landscape of the information. And uh, I really like data and stuff like that. So when I look at what's going on, what I'm seeing is sort of a general institution's collapse. And what, what I mean by that is that I'm seeing... Uh, the principles underlying uh, civil institutions like the police being violated and not necessarily like the police are doing it, but the way that we conceive of the police as being a protective force is starting to be eroded significantly. And we're not doing it in a way that is really, I would say, constructive because it's constructive to hold uh, the police to account for their bad behavior. And of course, at, we here at Honey Badger Radio have definitely called the police out on uh, sex discrimination in terms of their acting. Um, they tend to, uh, the justice system tends to come down very hard on men. Um, and either, I think that either men need to get the lenience that women get, or maybe women need to be to be subject to the same kind of penalties as men are or something in the middle. Um, but hmm. so we, we, we don't necessarily like give the, the, the police and the judicial system carte blanche. We don't, not criticize them. And we have been some of the first people who talked about police brutality as it pertained to all men, because it's not just, it actually really isn't just minority men. It's pretty much all men who are subject to really high levels of police brutality. So I'm not saying this in saying, oh, the police are impeachable, unimpeachable, and we can't criticize them. But the way that we our society is looking at the police, we don't seem to see them as much as a force for good and for the improvement of the communities that they're in. So we're sort of eroding that that moral um, hmm. that moral basis for them to do their actions. And when you erode that moral basis, because for the most part, police do what they do unless they're corrupt because they want to bring justice. So they're motivated by what's called altruistic punishment. You've heard of that, right? So could you it draft is, that for me? Okay, so altruistic punishment is when we when we go out of our way, when someone goes out of their way to, to punish 
uh, a transgressor of social norms in their community. So it, it's like the the I don't know the the Texas Lone Ranger going and getting the the bad guy, and in the process of doing that, it's facing considerable personal hardship and risk. So you know the high noon, and he's facing getting killed, but he's still motivated to do it to bring justice to the people who've been wronged that's called altruistic punishment because it involves a tremendous amount of personal sacrifice by the person who's who's engaging in the punishment they take they take the physical risks they take the physical depredations like the the physical discomfort um in order to bring the wrongdoer to justice and that's that's basically um but the way that that works is that they have to feel like they have that that moral authority given to them by their community to do it. And if they don't, if they don't have that sense, then they aren't able to actually function in that role because altruistic punishment requires that sense that you're doing it for people. You know, the Lone Ranger has to, or the, the uh, Texas Ranger has to feel like he is protecting a community and he's, a, he's, a, he's upholding that community standards in order to be able to do what he does, which is to track down the bad guys and potentially kill them or be killed by them. So that's, that's altruistic punishment. And what I see happening in our society in regards to the police is they're losing that kind of moral mandate uh, more and more. Like there's, they, and the problem with that is you start to lose the ones who are motivated by altruistic punishment and you start to get more and more of the ones who are not motivated more by power, um, by a desire to punish others, just a desire to punish others, not altruistically, but just have power over others. So you get more of the, the, the cops who are more, I think what they call is like criminally minded. So they're, mm-hmm. they're more interested in having that, that ability to hurt others rather than ability to protect others and, and to sacrifice in the process of protecting others. And yeah. so I, I'm seeing this and I'm seeing the erosion of that kind of uh, moral foundation to policing. And that's one of the institutions that I see that's sort of being undermined everything else that's happening. And then you have, and this might be contentious, but you have a situation where with this current uh, medical situation, I'll try to not use all the triggering words, <laughs> the, the current medical um the medical uh, snafu, um, kerfuffle, <laughs> tempest, debacle. I don't know, kerfuffle, debacle, yeah. Debacle might be too strong, you know, but uh, for YouTube, you know what I mean? But I'll, mm. I'll go with, I'll go with uh, 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 um, shenanigans, perhaps. The current medical shenanigans. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the mRNA uh, therapies for COVID in have I believe only have three uh, phase one trials supporting their use. So they haven't gone through phase two and they haven't gone through phase three. Um, now I'm not I'm not going to say that people shouldn't take them or should take them or whatever. But what I want to point out is this is the medical system saying this is what we need to do to determine if a medical therapy is safe and um, legitimate to use is these, these, this series of trials, phase one, phase two, phase three. And then at the end, do you have a therapy that's safe to use and it's, 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 um, it's effective? Um, they've decided to skip all of that. And so that's essentially saying that the fundamental principles that underlie our expression as a society, what we have decided the Hippocratic Oath means, 
which is do no harm. We are now just forgoing that. And we're forgoing it in a situation where we are going to be using these therapies on everybody, literally everybody. So we've decided not to do our, not to uphold our principles about making sure a therapy is safe and, and, and works. And we're going to give it to everybody. <laughs> so that, that we haven't gone through the, 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 the long-term studies on these therapies, on these um, vaccine therapies yet. These, this, what we're doing now is the long-term study. And I just want to point out that these principles are being used to prevent alternative therapies, alternative medical therapies that would be applied to smaller groups of people. So we're not talking about the whole world. We're talking about maybe affects 50,000 people. And they're saying that, that those, those therapies need to go through the entire process. And yet this does not. So it's like the selective use of these medical principles. And that's what I want to call out. And, um, then the other thing is that, uh, so we, we have the medical system, we have the, the police system being um, sort of undermined. We have the medical system being undermined. Um, I believe that even, and I'm going to talk about the electoral system now. So the system of voting, <laughs> I hope that's an acceptable topic. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> okay. So what I'm actually going to talk about is something, again, like I, don't know for sure. I haven't looked at the evidence, but I'm going to point something out. The point is that people have faith in their electoral system. That's what gives it its power. That's what keeps it, um, keeps people invested in it. And to change the way people vote in one of the most contentious, if not the most contentious presidential race in history is guaranteed to create a problem in, in people's minds because when you change anything during something that's really contentious people will question that and they will have every right to question that because how do you make the change like the how do you make the system work uh how do you do all i mean like i know from from running a business in the 11th hour if you change anything you're screwed like it's, hmm. it's just not going to work <laughs> So you have to have your plan in place well and ahead and to, to change all of that, you're guaranteed if you change uh, the, the way that you process votes just before a contentious election, you will get a, a significant portion of your population questioning the election results. That is absolutely guaranteed. So I'm like watching this and I'm thinking you guys that there's going to be a huge amount of people who are completely lose faith in the electoral system just because you changed how the voting was counted prior to a contentious election. So mm -hmm. you have you have the the loss of faith in the electoral system. Um, I would I don't know. Like personally, I don't know if there was electoral fraud because I haven't looked at the evidence. I think a lot of people that I trust suspect that there was um, suspect that the that the election was 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 stolen. I don't know because I don't I don't weigh in on something unless I have the evidence. I uh, have looked into the evidence to my own satisfaction. And I really haven't, but I just want to point out that the way that this was structured guaranteed to have a significant portion of the U S population lose their faith in the electoral process. So we have faith lost in the electoral process. We have a lot of faith lost in the, the, um, the medicine, the, um, the health industry because of this, because, uh, 
because they are basically violating their own principles. And then we have faith lost in the justice system. And then we're looking at media <laughs> and all of the media scandals that have been coming out in the last few years, starting with like, well, not even starting with Gamergate, but, you know, mm. just, just the media not honestly reporting about what is happening in the world. So you got people losing faith in that and also distorting what's going on in the world. There have been protests every Saturday in Toronto, Canada. I haven't heard anything from CBC, um, which is the main like uh, media outlet for Canada. Like they don't they don't cover it. What, what are the and protests about? The protests are about the lockdowns as a result of, of COVID-19 or the medical uh, shenanigans <laughs> and the, mm. and the lockdown. Yeah. 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 Essentially. Yeah. Um, so you have that, that loss of faith in the media and then, so moving on, you get the loss of faith in the academia. Like, you know, we're seeing a lot of stuff coming out that shows that, you know, peer review isn't what it was. Um, things are being published that, don't actually aren't actually supported by the evidence um so you you see the 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 um academia sort of violating its own principles and people losing trust in it and then we get to the financial institutions i don't know if people are aware but now banks can write loans without any any kind of um reserve so we used to have like a 10 percent reserve and i think we had a one percent reserve at one point now it's zero so they can just make money out of nothing hmm. And that's another thing. Like, so the, all of these things are, are rules that we put down as fundamental to our institutions that they had to actually abide by in order to function. And now we're violating all of them just across the board. And I mean, the question is, how can you how long can you violate the fundamental rules of your institution or face that loss of faith by the public in your institutions before everything starts to sort of slowly cave in on itself? Did you just like brew us a little black pill that we're supposed to sip? Is there is there like a fly in that particular ointment that that or how do you uh, see that working out? And and where are the friction points on on reversing um, that or slowing that down? Well, what I was going to say is while I recognize that a lot of this stuff is extremely toxic, I think it's all symptoms of an underlying issue. So we have oh, this okay. crumbling of our institutions, we have this loss of trust in each other. Um, and I think that the underlying issue is just that, the loss of trust in each other. It's um, in order to maintain these institutions, we fundamentally have to have trust in each other. So we have to, and I would say, and I, I guess I might be different than libertarians when I say this, that the social contract, so our rights, um, freedom of speech, property rights, uh, the uh, freedom, freedom from violence, dignity of the person, you know, those kinds of rights, all these rights are fundamentally granted by each other. Like we grant them to each other and we grant them because we have a sense of solidarity with each other. They don't come from a piece of paper. They don't come from the government. They come from our relationship and our trust with each other. And mm. when we lose that, we lose Hmm. All of those rights. And I think that fundamentally what we're seeing hmm. is when we look at social justice warriors, um, 
all of this stuff, all the rioting, all of the distrust, you, you can see how all of this is an expression of distrust. It's expression of distrust with each other. It's an expression of distrust in our institutions, an expression of distrust with police, expression of distrust with the media. I mean, we basically between the left and the right, they've got the whole thing covered. We, we, we distrust and hate everything at this point. Mm. Um, and I think it comes out of that uh, a fundamental I don't know, corruption on the level of how we interact with each other personally or how we see each other personally. And um, if we have mm. that trust, um, it generates a civil society. Like, And the civil society, I would say, is the foundation to all of our institutions, all of our rights. We have to have that sense of trust and that sense that we are our brother or sister's keeper before we can have institutions that reflect uh, values and principles that we uphold, before we can have our rights. We have to come right down to what do we think and how do we view each other as mm-hmm. men and women and individuals who may not be men and women, maybe something else. Um, but how do we view each other as human beings? How do we view each other as, hum- as men and women um, and non-binary? I guess we'll put them in here too. And how we view our society, like the, the civil society, not, not even not even the institutions, because I think institutions come out of a civil society. So civil society is how we view the gestalt of all of these human interactions and um, human relationships. Yeah. And, and then that's where the problem I think is coming is that we have lost that sense of solidarity. We've lost that sense of trust in each other. And as a result, we're starting to see an erosion of pretty much everything. The institution of the church uh, for mm. its, all its, all of its faults and, uh, benefits was what was resetting society for a long time. And mm-hmm. we've, we've gone away from that. Uh, but it, it was resetting a common denominator of humanity it was just being mm-hmm. constantly flooded into our society with the erosion of that, just the practice of mm-hmm. some sort of transcendental faith of some mm-hmm. sort that most people were participating in. Where is that nexus of finding? I guess you would have to have some sort of cultural binding understanding, mm. this gestalt that is constantly being renewed. Without mm-hmm. the church, I guess we have the media, maybe, is what's doing that. Or, And if if you disagree with that, I would like to know, like, where well, was that coming I know, from? I agree. I agree that it probably is the media is trying to do that. It's trying to replicate the church. And I would actually say that I think social justice is trying to replicate like a moral landscape that we can mm-hmm. all supposedly agree on that uh, although it's, 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 it's like a moral caste system and that actually isn't quite as flexible and isn't quite as um, well, isn't as just as the way that, you know, if you, if you look at not necessarily the church, but just Christian teachings, there's a there's a quality to them that's actually quite unique, especially if you understand the context in which they came out of the ancient world. Mm-hmm. There is a focus on the individual as a moral agent, and uh, and that comes out of the individual's individual relationship with God. So morality isn't tribally based. It isn't you know uh, if if you benefit your tribe, you're a good person. If you go and you kill the other p- tribe over there, you're still a good person you know, because you're killing the, the enemies of your tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, with Christianity, 
morality is at the level of the individual. So if you kill somebody of another tribe, it's still killing. It's still a sin. You know, uh, if you, if you steal from somebody from another tribe, it's still stealing. If you lie to somebody from another tribe, it's still lying. So because of that individual relationship between God and, uh, and the person, there is that moral code that each person upholds, which means that you can create a much larger society. If you think about it, because everybody is acting in, in terms of their higher self with everybody. So yeah. there's a higher level of trust capable. We have a, we are capable of a higher level of trust. Now, having said that, this is, this is sort of the platonic ideal in reality. There's still fracturing over, over theology and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, national, you know, so it's not, this is like, this is like the ideal, but having said that, it actually has that ideal, whereas other religions at other times did not. Uh, it was much more tribally based. So um, the idea that if if one tribe subjugated another tribe, they could do anything to the subjugated tribe. They could murder, they could rape, they could enslave, they could lie, they could steal, whatever. Okay, That's replaced by this ideal that every individual is responsible for their behavior to every other individual, regardless of you know, the tribal affiliation. And of course that breaks down when you're dealing with anything outside of Christendom. But having said that, it's at least, again, it still has that ideal. And as an example in the modern era, Christianity, Christians were responsible for a lot of the movements that social justice warriors have sort of appropriated for themselves. The Christians were originally responsible for like the, the uh, anti-segregationists were Christian. Abolitionism. Abolitionism. yeah. Yeah. All of that was Christian inspired, so this is uh, this is um, this is something that that comes out of Christianity. So you're right; like it's a it's a and it's it's a personal moral philosophy. So it's an emphasis on being personally moral, as opposed to moral in the sense of you. Well, you can do whatever you want. There are no bad there are no bad tactics. There are only bad targets. Well, in Christianity, mm-hmm. that's not the case. There are bad tactics. They're called sins. So there is that, 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 hmm. that, uh, and you're right there. We have lost a faith in Christianity. And the other thing that Christianity has is a really beautiful love story. If you think about, think about the, the story of Christ. Hmm. And I mean, I'm not, I don't identify as a Christian, but when I look at that story, it's a really powerful story of sacrifice and uh, a kind of uh, universal love for all people. You know, and also this kind of stoic—well, not stoicism—but this kind of self-mastery in that he went through something horrific, and he did not allow that to influence how he chose to act. So, it, you know, it's like a—it's a—it's hmm. a love story, and I think that fundamentally is part of what's wrong now. Where's the love story? Yeah, <laughs> it's gone. You make me wonder what Jesus's experience of PTSD was after the crucifixion. I mean, was it that heavier? Well, well I mean, he was dead. So. <laughs> what? <laughs> Depends well, on I mean, which story you're talking about. But if yeah. you're, if, well, I guess the resurrection, probably, I would imagine it wasn't very fun. Mm. So, okay, so we, we've drilled down to like the basis. Once you get to this, once you get to this level, you're like, okay, mm-hmm. at some point on a massive scale and it wasn't perfect and it wasn't, it wasn't even distributed everywhere, but it was enough 
people were participating in this story that synchronized、mm-hmm. them culturally, more or less, with the Bible and the New Testament and Jesus, even though there's a bunch of sex. But it also influenced the way that they were able to see God in themselves and God in each other, and kind of leap out of all of that weirdness. Temporarily,、mm-hmm. or even ideally, all that weirdness between two different people or two different tribes coming into contact. There was this ground of being, this floor of being that, because it was under this concept of a creator completely transcendent and completely responsible, ultimately、mm-hmm. for every judgment, so that it's kind of out of your hands. It's out of your hands. What happens to you, and what happens to everybody else?、So、there was just this ground of being that we could be slightly different in our capacities, but in the grand order of things, we're all basically human beings. We're just a little bit up and down, and that was instituted culturally through a cultural institution of the church. And、mm-hmm. of these stories and these songs and all these different products and all this different literature, this huge wealth of of creativity was invested into that. Now that we don't have that, or now、mm-hmm. that enough people have gotten into a post-Christian just mode of being, where does that idea come back? Where do you、mm-hmm. see it arising naturally, or?、Uh, Spontaneously, or do you see it happening? Do you see people starting to crave that? Where do you see it possibly coming back, and what form could it possibly come back in? Well, I think fundamentally, our society needs a love story, like to to function. We need some kind of replication of that story at the basis of of Christianity, at the basis of the church. I mean, you can say whatever you like about the church and whatever you、hmm. like about Christianity, but it、yeah. was a Delivery mechanism for a love story, and that love story told us how to be better to ourselves and how to be better to other people, and trust, and and how to forgive, and that enabled、um, a, a high level society, a much higher level society than has ever existed before. So we have to come back to understand what it was that that gave us, and figure out how to reconstitute it in the context of what we have now, essentially. So to to make it anew in in the understanding that we have now, and how do we do that?、Um, well, I think, and this is this is this is this is one of the things that where I come in with the the gender dynamics. I think that we have to look at the relationship between men and women and start to heal our fundamental attitudes about men and women, and I think that the love story will come back in part through that.、Hmm. That is that's potentially a very very profound statement,、mm. but it does it it does lead to the question I was going to ask before you gave me the answer, like wh- wh- why do you call it a love story? What what's why is that so powerful to you? What's so powerful about that? Well, I mean, first of all, there's there's multiple types of love, right? There's not just you know erotic love.、Um, there's also、uh, friendly love. Neurotic love, love yeah. Uh, well, yeah.、Um, the, the you know the love for your friend,、uh, the love for your family, and then the more abstract love for your fellow people, and that that you need to capture the individual's relationship for their fellow people. So you need to be able to say or, or give a story that takes、mm-hmm. the individual. Gives them a relationship with their greater society that is loving, 
in order to, to generate that sense of, I don't want to hurt them. I want to abide by these rules because they're a benefit to people that I love. Now, it doesn't have to be the kind of love like, uh, um, like we have like, when you go down, you get more of an intense sense of love. So when mm. you're in a, you know, when you're in a, I guess, a sexual relationship, that's an intense sense of love. Your friendship is an intense sense of love. When somebody's right in front of you, you get more of an intense sense of love. You know, you, if you go and if you're in war, you have an intense sense of love for the people that you are, the fellow soldiers, et cetera. So when you're, when you're close to someone, the, the, the intensity of the love is greater, but the love that you have for your social group that you belong to is very critical to what you're capable of, of doing in that social group, how much cohesion you have how much you can build institutions, how much you can build roadways, how much you can abide by traffic laws, you know, mm -hmm. all of this stuff. There's all kinds of things, laws or rules that we abide by that are not enforced in any sense, except by our desire not to harm each other. And that desire not to harm each other comes from that sense that we have as an individual, a relationship with the greater whole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, the problem that I'm seeing, the corruption that I'm seeing, I'll call it corruption. And it's, I don't know if I want to call it corruption, but a symptom. When we lost the church, which gave the individual, I mean, you, you, I, I hope you're seeing what I'm saying. It, the church, the, 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 not even the church, the mythology of Christianity, the stories, um, the religious iconography gave a sense to the individual of a love story with the greater whole. Hmm. So, and it's through God, of course. So you have this relationship to God and this relationship to God is really in a lot of ways, I think it functions psychologically as a relationship to your greater society, like the, mm -hmm. the, the whole, the, the human gestalt of Christianity is God in a way, um, except God is the stand in for that. So you are choosing to act out of your higher self in order to, um, in order to benefit all of Christianity, all of your mm -hmm. social group. And you do that because of the love story, because of the story of Jesus Christ sacrificing himself on this. So he gives you the model that you uphold in order to have that connection and that relationship to your, your greater society. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and by pra practice that altruism. Yeah. Um, yeah. That altruism. That, that isn't, that, isn't like this perfectly selfless act. There's this, you get you get some sort of payment back for that because you mm. are acting in accordance with God's will. Therefore, you mm -hmm. are justified. You're redeemed in some way. There's this other mm. moral thing that's going on that, that brings meaning into your life as you mm -hmm. go through all these inconveniences of obeying mm -hmm. traffic laws and these sacrifices of paying some form of tax or tithing of some sort. Or yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But all of those sacrifices make the overall system that we all benefit from possible because you know christianity this this system and again it's like the planet platonic ideal of this of the individual having this relationship with the greater whole of society through this mm -hmm. this this psychological concept of god so we, we go into our higher selves we abide by all of these rules that involve a lot of self-sacrifice you, you go back in time people probably wouldn't willingly abide by all of the rules that we do and the, the for example probably if you go back far enough and you had automobiles, there's no way they would allow a peasant to have an automobile or no, because in no way you would allow your neighbors to have one. 
because they could just drive into your to your living room and to steal all your stuff, you know. But there's a, there's a huge amount of trust. Okay. I mean, yeah. if if I live like maybe twenty feet from a road, and you know people are going by in these two ton metal torpedoes, yeah. and I don't have any fear, and I'm sure you don't have any fear because you know, and it's not just the it's not mm. just the um, the traffic rules, you know that they don't want to do that. Yeah. So we have trust and the amount of trust that we have in each other, the more power we can give each other and the more power we can give each other, the more we can use that power to create a more uh, elaborate, a more complex, a more technologically advanced, a more socially advanced culture. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like we, and it's all because we trust each other. We trust each other to have these powers and it's all based on that love story that we have this connection with our greater whole. Yeah. At some point there's a bottom of uh, the cynicism bucket. And while I was reporting on, I've kind of leaned back currently right now from reporting too much on these issues, but when I was really heavily involved in watching, you know, exploring the downfall of Western academia, right. And, and watching all these really toxic ideas slip out into the greater world and saying, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And, you know, like get, just get this feeling of dread and of uh, despair and mm. of worry for my country and for my planet. Mm. Uh, but I, I just I'd go grocery shopping and I just drive down the road. And all that stuff's like, it doesn't really matter because people are just trying to live. Most people are just trying Mm -hmm. to live. Mm -hmm. And that cynicism that goes around and creates enemies out of everybody else, it is, it exhausts itself. And Mm -hmm. so the question is, it's not going to sustain, it can only ever destroy. Mm -hmm. So to what extent will it destroy everything? Will we get to a place where people are just going to be driving around Mad Max style in their mm-hmm. cars and vehicles, just fighting over resources. Are we going to get to that point? Uh, or will people, you know, pull back from that at some point? Or will the people who have been not worried by this, the people who haven't been necessarily paying attention to it, they're like, okay, well, I'll let this into the schools. I'll let this into my government, but it doesn't really affect me. Will that silent majority eventually stand up? and shut it down. I don't know. I can't, uh, I can't tell you all I can do is um, do what I can do and try to create a community that's based on Mm. the principles that I hold, which is what I've done. So in terms of the greater community, the greater community will do what it does. I think that ultimately if we don't address the fact that we've lost our love story Hmm. and that we've, we've lost that sense of trust in each other and we're going to lose our civil society because of it. If we don't face that and solve the problem, uh, the underlying problem, then it's likely that things will, will get worse. Um, however, if we do solve the underlying problem, then they probably will get significantly better. That hmm. makes sense. So they can go, we can either face this problem that we have and or we we either run from this problem that they have and ultimately that problem will undermine even the central institutions like the like the financial system it will undermine it and then we will start seeing the mad max or alternatively we face the problem we solve it and we start becoming a galactic civilization so (laughs) there you go that's our choice that's our that's our forking choice you know, and uh, so it's yeah. like it's it can be very pessimistic or it can be very optimistic. 
And I choose to focus on what I can change, what I can do in my own life, and what I can make happen in, in the things that I can, you know, I have control over. Um, and I don't have control over whether the, the silent majority yeah. wakes up to this. And, um, and to, if you want to bring it back to the, the topics that we talk about in Honey Badger Radio, I think one of the, well, first of all, I, I don't think it's necessarily a force of the loss of the love story. And that, that uh, I think it is an effect of it. But um, when we create this notion that men uh, do not care about women or are willing to construct a society for their own benefit at the expense of women, we create a lack of trust in our society. We create a lack of trust in men. And ultimately, we also create a lack of trust in women. Because we have, and the way that works is, well, of course, if men are constructing a society for their own benefit at the expense of women, we can't trust them, right? We have to, we have to put them under scrutiny. We, and then we also have to put the women who could possibly be facilitating them under scrutiny. And then the society itself is also suspect. So you see how that breaks down the trust at every single level. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having said that, this again, I don't know if this is a this. I don't. I don't want to necessarily call it a corruption because I think it's a symptom of the loss of the love story. So they're trying to bring something like something into the void to to try to keep things together. And yet, the thing that they're bringing into the void may actually be making things worse. Does that make sense? What What is this thing that's being brought into the void? Oh, sorry the the idea that we live in a society that is. Uh, constructed for the benefit of men at the expense yeah. of women. It, it's a it's a moral construct about how we relate as the individual to the greater society. You see, mm-hmm. So it's sort of like the same thing as the Christian yeah. construct. It's which a is Gnostic also a construct. construct, though. It's uh, insofar as there's a well, there's a old Gnosticism's like this kind of shadow Christianity, but one mm. strain in it is this grand narrative that there's this. There's the bad God and a good God, and the mm. bad God created this world. And what we mm. need to do is think our way and liberate ourselves through problematizing mm. the world in order to mm. to resurrect the good God, which is basically you can just put patriarchy in the place mm. of the demiurge, the, the one that constructed this opp- oppressive system that we can only cogitate our way out of, basically. Which is really interesting it. because one of the big things that the church did was to destigmatize um, the world. So mm. what I mean by that is uh, instead of seeing as the world as this sort of corruption, the ch- church saw it as God's expression. And so they, they saw it in terms of God's expression and saw learning new things from God's creation, which is where science came from. So, mm-hmm. you know, the monks would go and do experiments, I think, or observe, observe what's going on in nature in order to understand God better. And that's obviously the, like the roots of science. So that, that's mm-hmm. sort of like that, that branch of Christianity is almost in opposition to the branch of Christianity that actually doesn't see the earth as necessarily fallen entirely, but just an aspect of God's creation. And through observing God's creation, um, you can learn more about God and yeah, start to understand God in some better. Form of perfection, 
perfecting of the world and uh, well, maybe perfecting the wrong, but husbandry of the world or our observation. A, I, I'm not sure if it's exactly husbandry, but understanding like pure understanding, like just yeah. the observation of the world itself is an act of good. Yeah, but I was just bringing up the notion of justice within Christianity, at least as far as doing good works is, is that you, oh, yeah, you observe yeah, the world, but you also try to make it better. Like, And you're trying to make the, the land better by making it produce better crops or whatever, understanding mm -hmm. for its own sake, but also the human and cultural world of trying to uh, mm -hmm. mitigate unfairness uh, to mm -hmm. the best of everybody's ability. Yeah, no, 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 definitely there's an, ele an element of trying to bring justice and improvements. But again, it's also that idea that you can observe God's creation and the act of observing God's creation is also coming closer to God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's, that's fundamentally, I think, where our concept of science, like those are the roots that it came out of. Mm. And before yeah. that, like if you look at the archaic view, um, observation of the world was not seen as a source of truth. So that that I that what you're what you're presenting the Gnostic Christianity or that particular branch of it seems to be sort of tied to that the idea that the world has fallen and observing it doesn't provide truth so they would just philosophize about um, hmm. the world but not observe it that was that was something that people who were not philosophers and not scientists did in the old mm -hmm. world there was like an antipath and there was a, a resistance to observing the world to find truth. And that's mm. something that the Christ, that the Christian or the, the Christianity sort of got rid of to our benefit, ultimately, if you think about it, mm. Mm -hmm. because it, it managed to create a situation where we could make cities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and trust each other to, to build them. Mm -hmm. uh, more yeah. Or and trust each other to have cars like four <laughs> feet from us, you know, two tons going at 50 miles an hour, four feet from us. That that's an unbelievable level of trust. If you think just when you when you just do the exercise of thinking, what am I trusting people? You, yeah. It just it blows your mind, like yeah, how much yeah. trust we need to just get through a day. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. some at least with traffic, you can chalk it up to people's self preservation, but also, you know, on top of that is not wanting to cause pain to other people. So. Mm -hmm. We strayed from the men-women conversation, but let me rephrase your work in this way, if you will allow me. How do you express love through your work? Um, well, I think that I try to push back against this narrative that men aren't fundamentally decent and don't fundamentally care about women. Like I, I occasionally tweet out, I periodically tweet out feminism didn't invent men caring about women um, because men have always cared about women and they care about women all around the world. And this is, this, this is a constant about men and they've probably cared about women even before there were women <laughs> when they were, you know, little hairy hominids. Um, so this is, this is something that, that I believe about. Well, I don't, I think this is scientifically accurate. Men care about women. Um, and, I, and one of the reasons why I believe this so firmly is that any males, males of any social species, social mammalian species, I think any social species will sacrifice themselves to protect and sometimes provide, depending on whether or not the females actually need provision during, you know, childbirth and lactation, they will protect the, the females and young of their social group. 
they'll go out of their way. So you look at stallions, if there's a mountain lion or something after their herd, they will insert themselves between their herd and the danger. You look at male rabbits, they're the ones who are watching for danger so that they, the female rabbits and the young can, can eat, you know, and, uh, same with gorillas, you know, same with, with any male of any species that's highly social. And if the female animals actually require provision during lactation and pregnancy and lactation, you'll see the male animals also pair bonding and providing that provision. So this is something that's built into, into male mammals or males of any social species. And human beings are really highly social. You may have noticed. <laughs> I run from it all the time, but then I do a podcast where that's all I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the ways that I try to express that is to try to fight back against these narratives that paint men as being callous, uncaring. And the reason why I think that these narratives do that is because they use, they fundamentally, they use what they say doesn't exist. So they're essentially saying to men, you don't care about women, now care about women. So, and that, that, that actually, I think is like, it just hits all of men's care about women buttons all at Mm. once, just Mm. like slams over and over. But at the same time, it's saying that something doesn't exist and and then it's exploiting it, you know, and it's, I think it's really in my experience from talking to men Mm. and sort of getting them out of that mindset, that's really harmful to their sense of well-being. So this that's that's how I t- try to bring back that sense of love. I mean, one of the ways. Is there a your work and the work of your group has interacted with men for several years now specifically and done a lot of events and you've probably spoken to mm-hmm. hundreds and spoken to thousands, uh, spoken with hundreds and spoken to thousands over your time. So I'm wondering, it it seems like you have a, you you guys might have a, you guys, you gals, you folks might have a a perspective into what men are going through right now, or what is the ideal man and not in the perfect man sense, but what is that, like the archetype of the man right now? Are are the soldier, the father, is there like a patriarch anymore? And in this modern day, is there like a, is there a type out there that that isn't being represented or that could be represented more fuller for people to kind of understand the what men are going through right now what are the challenges like kind of like an archetypal maybe you don't think this way so i mm. i apologize if i'm putting you in a weird position but just wondering what what's what's the mood of men what are what is that man right now that you are serving what is his characteristic if if you could just abstract him into it well, honey badger man. Uh, well, I can't. I don't know if I could because there, are, you know, there's there's a lot of uniqueness. So many. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I would say that uh, maybe a contrast is in order. I think that the individuals who use this narrative of society, men create society to oppress women, or men don't care about women now care about women. The kind of man that they're trying to appeal to is a powerful man, a rich man, a man with lots of influence, a man and who resources. Yeah, and resources. Like they're they're definitely going for the top, the alpha, the ones who can, the movers and shakers, and the guys who just really have tons of you know, tons of ability, but also an extremely fragile sense of self. Hmm. So they want that 
uh, they want that approval. They want to feel like they're saving the damsel. Um, they, they're extremely open to being manipulated in this manner. So they're, they're a very, very, in a lot of ways, very vulnerable and yet very powerful. And that's what those individuals are going for. And what I think that what we're trying to appeal to is, and I'm not going to say in terms of success, because there are some people who are patrons who are obviously very successful because they can't, you know, otherwise be patrons, but, uh, or the people that we interact with, um, what we're going for is the kind of man who is capable of questioning fundamental truths, despite how uncomfortable they could be. So who mm. lacks that fragility? Um, because that's where, you know, th that's where the narrative, that's what the narrative is manipulating is that sense of self. So, and also manipulating that sense of distrust in other men. So you got the powerful man who, really has this incredible insecurity who wants to feel uh, approved of who has this mother need this just absolute crater of mother mother need inside him and then also despises other men absolutely hates other men so he wants to feel completely different than any other man he wants to be the one good man in all of the universe the one man who cares about women and can do so much for them so that kind of very insecure but but having high like degree of power kind of man that's what the narrative that uh men um men all other men are distrustworthy or untrustworthy and immoral but you are the one good man who's going to use all of those resources for something for women and um and also hmm. you are completely justified in every cruel thing that you do to other men in order to protect and provide for those women and women who don't get along with the narrative too yeah, and the women who don't get along with the narrative. You know, that's what's really funny is because um, these guys scare the crap out of me. Oh, really? Because, yes, because the, the approval huh. that they're given is almost like that tribal approval. You know, if you, if you obey and you seek the approval of the women who believe this ideology, you can do anything you want to the women outside of it. Anything. You want to grab them by the hair, drag them down and rape them, go at that. You can hmm. do anything you want to those women. That's what scares the crap out of me when it comes to those men, because the level of uh, sort of almost like um, sociopathy. Or yeah. Psychopathy. Well, I mean, because because a lot of like uh, a lot of this is very narcissistic. So they're looking for this 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 approval of them themselves as a person or as an individual, this 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 savior narrative. And when you don't abide by their savior narrative, oh man, hmm. uh, there's so, one person, there's, okay, there was one guy who terrified the hell out of me in all of the time that I've been here. Uh, I've been doing this to the point where I wouldn't actually go on a podcast with him because he was so frightening. And he, hmm. whenever I would challenge the savior narrative with him, so the idea that he was the one good man who was going to save all the women because he was a, a feminist man. Um, he just, there was just this level of rage. Karen also dealt with him and had the same sense of, yeah, we got to stay away from this guy, but she was smarter than me. She didn't challenge him. She just sort of flattered him and then just floated away. I challenged him and, um, he would stalk me. He would make videos about me. And then he ended up killing his girlfriend. He shot her to death in a parking lot and I'm like, oh my God, please send this guy away for life. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Okay. 
because of the way that um, these narratives like, like feminism and social justice warriorism are structured, they create that sense of moral self-righteousness and moral completeness and justify acting out in whatever way that you think like no bad targets, only bad, no bad tactics, only bad targets. Like that is, mm-hmm. comes right out of that idea that you have, you have complete knowledge of the situation and therefore you can be judge and jury of everyone around you. And yeah, you're, you're right. He, he sort of came out of that, but he was an example of the kind of man that I think is appeal, like seeks those narratives of absolute moral um, certainty and self-righteousness. Like mm-hmm. in the beginning of this, I said, I don't know what, what's, what's going on with the electoral college. I don't know what's going on with this. I don't know what's going on with that because I haven't yeah. looked into it myself. So I'm aware that there are things that I just don't know. And I can't opinion, I make an opinion about them because I don't know. They're just, they're just up in the air for me. That's that kind of attitude, I think, is something that needs, but maybe not. Maybe it doesn't need. It's something I think there needs to be more of us of being able to sit with your doubts and being mm-hmm. able to tolerate your doubts and being able to be wrong and not know. You know, and it's and, not and it's not just humility and doubt. It's also curiosity. If mm-hmm. you can find your curiosity, then you're open to what's yeah. greater than you, and that leads you towards mm-hmm. journeys yeah. of knowledge of all types. Exactly. So, yeah. you know that that sense of of uh, of not knowing and have that the mysterious and then the effable and recognizing that there's something that maybe we can never know. Uh, so we can't always have perfect knowledge of everything, and maybe mm. we should wait before we make these kinds of really really harsh moral judgments or you know or or, or think about what the the, the facts are because i mean right now with this outrage like all the clickbait the outrage clickbait everybody's mm-hmm. acting out of that sense of outrage and often the stuff that is being shown to them both sides by the way not just not just the left i've seen it on the right happen on the right too left left and right mm-hmm. um like they'll, they'll take a little snippet of something totally out of context and everybody will be raging over it. And then you look at the context and you're like, well, that actually isn't what happened. Um, So, I mean, there's that. And then, so you were talking about the archetypal man that we're looking for. Or Um, that you're servicing if, if you can use the good version of what that. Well, like I said, there's, there's servicing. (laughs) Okay. Helping. I don't know. It's okay. Providing content for. Um, I think what I've noticed is that uh, if anything, they are systems thinkers. So they're high level thinkers that hmm. seem to be interested in this. Um, like I come at it. I got really excited about going deep and looking at all of the, the parts, the moving parts underneath everything. I think that they also like that and Mm -hmm. they're the type of man who doesn't get as emotionally or ego invested in the relationship between the genders being uh, a particular way if that makes sense so right now um the so for the guy uh we'll use him as an example because i certainly want to actually don't really want to Anyway, I don't really want to summon him. He's terrifying. But, um, you know, he was invested in a particular arrangement of the genders. A man is the agent who saves the woman who is a victim. And women who do not play that role, you kill. (laughs) 
apparently. Um, so the the because the the reason why he killed her was possibly because she was leaving him. Um, so she's no longer going to be a source of that ego. Potentially, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something else going on there, more going on there. But anyway, um, so you have this this attachment to that particular identity, and that particular identity itself has an attachment to a way of seeing women as not having power as being uh, these things that you save, but not actually having agency. So not yeah. having, not making moral choices, not having power in the greater society. That is a role that's assigned to women. And that role is the, is basically just being sort of a substrate upon which men act, write their actions, if that makes sense. So you just are a response to men's actions. You're a response. You're a you know you're a valuable object. You're like a you know a, a Ming vase or or a, a Ferrari, something you want to protect, but not really having any real individuality or consciousness. So hmm. you're just a reaction to what men do okay. to you. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the yeah. extreme, like the Platonic extreme. Um, but I think it's it sort of encapsulates the, the the basic idea of the dynamic. Men act, women are acted upon. And we go places in looking at how women act on the world that I think a lot of there's a lot of men who are who are ego attached to that idea of how men and women are don't like very uncomfortable. So the type of guy that we tend to attract is one who doesn't get as ego identified with that particular dynamic, but is interested in how women act on, you know, like the, 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 the particular powers and abilities that women have because they're women affect the system, like the social system that we have, because, and this is a pretty seditious statement. Women have social power that men do not <laughs> just going to lay it right out there. You're not supposed you to want- say that. We all know it, but you're just not supposed to talk about it. Well, I, I say it. It's implicit. I, 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 <laughs> well, if we don't want to talk about it, then we're going to. No, no, we it, can but... talk about it. I'm just saying, like, the, the, there's a. The, no, no, I think I know, that I know. part of the uh, stigma is that you just you're not supposed to call them out. Yeah, you're not supposed. Superman. It's yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like the whole uh, men don't care about women now. Men care about women thing. You know, it's 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 something implied there. There's like a like a little dancer teaser for flirtation that mm. you know my my dense brain just doesn't doesn't get. You know, I'm like, no, well, look at that. But that's because I'm a, probably stupid, but uh, compared to other people, but I don't get the the like the emotional nuance or the social dance. But hmm. um, yeah, so men, so women have a social power that men don't, or and you can see it like. It's right in, um, to use an example, we recently watched like the, the second episode of Supernatural. And you can see this all throughout videos or movies and videos. Something will happen, an event will happen, and then the camera will immediately go to a woman's reaction to that event to establish how the audience is supposed to feel about it. And a woman's reaction to a character or to a person who's introduced to establish how the audience is supposed to feel about that character or person. And women have this ability to model how we're supposed to feel about events, uh, people, hmm. things, yeah, uh, phenomenon, yeah. yeah, moral judgments. And they, they exert that gravity and men. You know, they, 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 they model how we're supposed to feel about men, which is where that sort of gender dynamic comes from. Men act, and then women model how that action is good or bad. You know, 
And and I don't know. So like, they're the judges not, then. Yeah. In a way. You know, ten, five. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but so there that 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 dynamic is yeah. is is right there written into us. I don't know how much we can actually genuinely change it on a, like a fundamental level, but if we're aware of it and we're honest about it, then we can maybe make it better for both men and women because there are traps that men get into and there are traps that women get into. The trap that men seem to get into is saving women when there is no way that you can save someone who one doesn't can't save themselves and won't especially when they have the power of determining how you appear to others. Like that, that, that is just like, it's just basically getting sucked into quickstand and women have the trap where they don't take responsibility for their actions. So what's ending up in our society, since a woman is the one person who has the greatest degree of control over her own life. Like there's, we've, we've constructed a society in which women control their own lives more than anybody else. They don't have a pater familias. They don't have like a, a husband who who has to sign the checks and make sure that all the the debts get paid. And if they don't get paid, he goes to jail. You know that that that's all gone. So a woman has the greatest amount of control over her life than anybody else in the world. And yet, because they are not held responsible for their for their actions in the same way men are, and that goes from the justice system to being able to hit men with impunity and not be called out for it to uh, feminists looking at the effects of women bullying women and blaming men you know all of that like it's all across the board women are not held accountable for their actions and when you don't hold women accountable hmm. that means the person who controls a woman's life more than anybody else is completely unaccountable for choices that are made in that life so it's it's just an it's just a it's just a recipe for implosion and personal destruction. And, uh, and I, what I would like to look at it as if a man was putting, was making the choices that women are making about women's lives, how would we judge him? Okay. So if it was actually a man making that choice for a woman, how would we judge him? Does that make sense? Like, I can see that. Well, you like, could you give me an example of like in, in what domain? So for example, if a man left a woman or a uh, 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 drunk in a situation where she had no way of defending herself, how would we see his moral actions? Okay. As opposed to a woman getting drunk Doing it to herself. Then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if a, if a man, uh, if a man disregarded women's safety to the degree that we think women should be able to disregard their own safety, how would we view them? We would view them incredibly negatively. Now, why don't we view women that way when they do it to themselves? You know, that kind of thing. Because it's impolite. Sorry? Because it's, 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 it's shaming. Impolite. Yeah, you, I know. You're not it's, supposed to shame or yeah, blame I know that, the victim. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But on yeah. the other hand, that means that says something about how we view men's agency versus how we view women's agency. And if you think about it, it would be better for men to have complete control over women if we hold them accountable for it than to have granted women control over themselves without holding them accountable. You're dropping the bombs now. <laughs> well, just think about it, you know, because <laughs> well, if we're going to give that power. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. There's a, I don't think we can broach it in this conversation, but there's a special 
case scenario with regards to the ways in which transgender uh, rights are affecting women's rights, uh, mm-hmm. specifically in sports, in prisons, mm-hmm. and in female spaces, where the autonomy of the woman is being sacrificed to the identity of the male mm-hmm. in a number of different ways. That seems to be turning the uh, it, 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 it that's complicating the narrative that feminists or that females have all the power in our society and that mm-hmm. that feminists are are strictly uh out to well, they don't, you know stand they don't care. on top of men. I don't think feminism never cared about women so Oh. It'll take any. It'll appropriate any victim group that it feels will advance its agenda. Okay, so you're not talking about feminism then. The feminism was the outgrowth of something deeper. Then it was just called feminism, but it's a roving. Uh, it's something else. Then uh, is that what you're saying? I, um, how, do, how does it, it just doesn't make sense that feminism never cared about women it, unless well, what you're I talking about it, is something that's using the cloak of feminism in order to exert its power. Well, yeah, a game of power I, I think that ultimately, to be honest, I mean, it depends on what you think feminism is. Yeah. Uh, and there's the several different feminisms. I mean, there's radical feminism, liberal feminism, 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 anti-feminism. I don't really like talking. Feminism. The problem is that you, when you get into labels and you end up yeah. arguing with, with what label is this, what I want to point out is a narrative okay. that men do not care about women. One, okay. and the narrative that they've constructed society for their own benefit at the expense of women, those two narratives, those of which were very close together, the people who ascribe to that narrative. And if you are a feminist, and you're like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't describe me, girl, oh, that, fine, you, then it doesn't describe you. This belief, I don't think at its core benefits women. And the people okay. who advance this belief, and often there are people who call themselves feminists and advance this belief at the expense of women's rights, in my opinion, that 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 is that's those are the people who I don't think care about women. So the people okay. who would sacrifice women to that belief don't care about women. Okay. And when I said when I said that this idea that men should in a situation where men women are not going to be held accountable for their own actions, it's better for men to control women. I don't actually believe that that's the best outcome. Like, I think the best outcome is that women become accountable to their actions and to well, the yeah, effect well, of those actions on their lives. Well, but ultimately, to get back to the core issue that we discussed earlier, everybody should become responsible for themselves. Everybody has to become responsible themselves or else there's no way that we're going to ever trust each other or mm-hmm. build anything more complex than a power game. Yeah, with accidental lines of allyship in order to gain the resources in any given domain. Yeah, but for me, like when we say everybody needs to become responsible, I think we I, I'm water, it's a little bit waters down the message that I'm going for. Oh, because okay. because I think that right now women really need to take responsibility because I think what we're seeing is a loss of. Uh, when, going back to that whole idea about the the uh, Hollywood and how women respond to things being how people perceive them to be, when women respond to society as something that is harmful to them, they are destroying the trust in society. And they are using that power in a very destructive manner, um, mm. in a very eros- erosionary manner. So what we're seeing is the abdication of women's responsibility to society. And I know this is like can be quite difficult for people to digest, 
Um, but women have a hell of a lot of power. And when they just decide I'm going to take a day off, you know, societies collapse. I think there's a Greek play about that. <laughs> At least so, one. But the yeah. thing is that when I say that, I believe firmly that women need to take responsibility for that power for their sake, for women, for men's mm -hmm. sake, for kids' sake, for elders' sake, for society's sake. So I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not this is not me blowing smoke up women's ass. Because I yeah. I've, I've seen things like well, this is not you're not doing the I don't know, stupid. Women hold movie. up half up the side the sky thing. Well, or or the female empowerment. You're you're talking about a certain sort of power that's not being replicated in an action movie with basically a male acting person with boobs sta stapled on their chest. No, you're no, not talking. No. You're talking about a deep well of feminine power that has shaped yeah. and molded individuals and societies since mm -hmm. time immemorial. It precedes yes. history. It's yes. like heresy in a way. It, it comes. It, it doesn't. It isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't yeah. it? It's like talking about the fundamental feminine and the exertion or the how it's exerted, how it's shaped society, how it's shaped religions, how it's shaped people, how it's shaped kings and knights and everything. You know, this is totally verboten in a lot of ways. Um, but it's like this. This is this exists in my well, as I've observed. And it, ha it exerts a powerful force on a society. And when women are not responsible to it, it just mm. flattens everything like a well, juggernaut. Could it, the, could it be the case that some ideas or some conception of the world has obscured women from that power? And if so, oh, how, yes. do you, how do you wake up women? How do we bring women on board to that power and, and uh, like sculpt uh, or incentivize them to wield that in a beneficial way. Well, well, but first they would have to become aware of it and they're not yeah. going to become aware of it when they're being told that they're victims. Yeah. Every chance they get. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's one thing. The other thing is that I think uh, there's a certain amount of scaling that's going on here. Hmm. Uh, if women are going to be unconscious with this power to, and, and they're going to say things like, well, society is harmful to us as women. And then, and, what I think that trans women are necessarily like in, when, they, when they're doing like the radical trans action, this, they're act, they are actually trying to take over this particular power um, uh, for, for their own use uh, for destructive purposes. But regardless, um, when women say things like society is harmful to me, they destroy the essential trust in society that we require for it to function, to have these institutions, to have traffic laws that work, to care about each other and trust each other with the powers that we have. So they're eroding that. That is dysfunctional. When you have a group of women, no matter how small, that actually takes responsibility for this power, it is powerfully constructive, in my opinion. And... Um, the uh, uh, you can see that with like the early church, which was based, which was in many cases driven by women, um, you know, preaching or, or bringing people together in their own homes, or yeah. funding the church. You know, it was as I think one person said, it was a woman's religion, which is I think every religion really is ultimately a woman's religion if it gains a lot of social power. But in this case, it really was you know women who were driving it. And then you also look at the founding myths of Rome and the, the, the abduction of the Sabine women and how that was resolved. And that's another situation where you have this powerful myth about women taking responsibility 
for their sexuality and their the, the 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 effect that they have on society and these stories are so powerful hmm. and evocative but when women do step up and take responsibility i don't think it needs a hell of a lot of women to do it i think you to know every woman to, to actually construct to actually construct something of benefit to society rather than destructive or to construct a new society or a new civilizational concept. So I don't mm. think it takes a lot of women to do it. It just takes some to, to build the, build the, the love story, I guess, you know? Mm. And so, and the reason probably why is because every other woman is destroying everything that, that they're touching really. Well, not every other woman, but they're either just trying to get by. Most women are just trying to get by or they're yeah. actively engaged in destruction so, and I, I like, I don't, I don't blame women who are just trying to get by. You're just uh, dealing with their own family and that's good too, right? You just focus on your own family, focus on your, your children, your husband, your job, your home, your life. That's good. You know, that's, that's, that's a, that's a great approach. I think it's important that people do that to just focus on what is within their sphere to, to help. So I don't, I'm not calling out the women who are just getting by. I don't want to even deal with any of this. The the women I'm talking about who should who who stand up to this and try to be constructive. Part of the reason why I would do this is to enable women who just want to get by to be left alone by the women who just want to destroy everything. <laughs> <laughs> Building really mean while they do it. Yeah, you're you're. Like, it's like there's this roaming band of harpies that are going around the countryside. <laughs> Castrating men and disemboweling poor lambs or something. Uh, well, thwart their progress. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I want to put it in such graphic terms, Sorry, but I, they're I, certainly you, promoted. You brought, up, you brought up mythology. So I was just yeah, like, you know, I got you. I got you. I just don't want to like demonize too much because yeah, I know that yeah. there's a there's a there's I think a, a, a insecurity. No, I, I get it. it's it's there's an insecurity I think at the heart of of women who can't really it's it's like your your feet are broken mm. and you're being presented with a woman who can run you know there's an insecurity at the heart of that and the desire to remain attached to the value of having broken feet you, you see what i'm saying um what that's it you know you don't want you don't want that questioned because first of all it, it gives you social power to be vulnerable and to be carried everywhere. Um, okay. And second of all, you feel like you've, you've missed out on something because you can't get that back in some cases. Although I think most women could probably develop a greater sense of their agency over time if they were encouraged to. And that's something that men would have to in some ways step up to and start saying, you know, you know, like Jordan Peterson, you know, uh, with uh, Kathy Newman actually saying, this is how you make me feel. <laughs> You know, take responsibility. Do you have to take responsibility for that? Hmm. That kind of energy. <clears throat> Men did more of that than women would have a more of a sense of responsibility to them. Hmm. Um, and, uh, but, you know, so that's, being more honest with each other, then. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a necessary uh, path towards reconciliation. Oh, definitely. Be yeah. more honest, uh, being more aware. Of uh, And I, I think it, in many ways, it really has to come from women to men because there is that deficit. Like, you know, women don't have to take responsibility for hitting men 
you know, we don't make them take responsibility for it. You know, you have, you've seen those videos of men, women hitting men in public and they, people are just walking past. I mean, women don't have to take responsibility for yelling at men. They don't have to take responsibility for hitting men. They don't have to take responsibility for sexually abusing them. You know, there's, you don't have to take responsibility for financial abuse. They don't have to take responsibility for re- reproductive abuse where we give them so many ways of hurting men and then just telling men to suck it up or blaming them for choosing the wrong woman, but then telling men, well, if you actually have any criteria for how you choose women, you're a bad man. <laughs> you know, like if you, hmm. if you say, well, I don't want to date this kind of woman because that's a red flag, then you become a bad man because of it. So we need to actually develop that sense of respect for men in women. And I don't mean like respect for, uh, you know, the head of the household or whatever that respect for men as people in terms of, you know, they shouldn't have to endure being hit. They shouldn't have to endure being yelled at. They shouldn't have to endure, you know, having children or, or being forced into being fathers against their will or, you know, other aspects of that. They shouldn't have to be forced to endure women's sexual advances if they're not interested in them, you know, that kind of thing. There should be an understanding of men as having a right to their own boundaries their own bodies, their own finances, their own everything, right? And that's the kind of respect I'm talking about. It's the kind of respect that's like a stewardship. You know, we are each other's keepers. We are each other's keepers. Women are as much men's keepers. If we're going to be citizens of a society, we are as much men's keepers as they are ours. And that kind of sense of responsibility, civic duty. And um, yeah, so that that's that's something that I feel is missing because there is already a sense that men need to take responsibility for women. <laughs> I think there's a huge sense of that. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't be there. I'm saying there should be a reciprocal sense of responsibility for women towards men. And it might look different too. Uh, you know, there might be a, a different things that men need from women to make them feel safe. I know that's a that's a very hard thing to say. But to make them feel like they're not um, going to be subject to things that they can't control, you know, and um, they can't say no to or whatever else. So that's what I look for. That's what I want to see is that kind of reciprocal concern. Uh, And I feel like it's already there with men. I think with men, they might want to consider that sometimes it isn't really compassionate to indulge every single thing and to not give women any kind of consequences to their actions so that they can understand themselves as moral agents. It's not really compassion that might actually just be serving your own identity. That makes any sense as Hmm. women's savior. So there's some aspect of that, that I think that maybe elevating men's consciousness in that way, but also elevating Hmm. women's sense of stewardship for men. Okay. So you said that you've been kind of backing away from Honey Badger Radio a little bit and concentrating on these deep issues of our society. Do you think you're going to like put them all into a book? Do you have like a project that is itching at you? Is there something on the horizon that you're working towards so that you think is coming towards you in that respect? I think so. I think, I think I, I, I probably, I will be doing something like that. Um, in the near future, uh, it might be a book. It might be a series of, uh, of dialogues, but then I could probably make that into a hmm. book as well. So, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm working towards something. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm only withdrawing because I'm trying to 
grapple with all of this and trying yeah. to think really deeply about it. Um, and this, this, this business that we're both in commenting all the time, you, you don't, it doesn't give you a chance if you get caught up on it to withdraw mm-hmm. and to really meditate and mm-hmm. to really grow as a thinker. If you're always talking, mm-hmm. so you have to, I wish there was a, like a more of a natural balance, but mm-hmm. this, this media just kind of says you have to produce content. You have to produce content. You have mm-hmm. to produce content so you can get to a place where you're not, you're no longer developing. So I think it's really important to take mm-hmm. breaks like you're doing. Yeah. And uh, Brian and Hannah always do really great content. Like I, I say that they're more conservative than me, which I, which I don't have a problem with. Like they you're have the one a who just opinion. spent an hour and a half talking about God. <laughs> well, the thing is, I understand the psychological. I, I don't even. I think I'm. I think you're teasing me. Sorry, a little bit. Okay, no, all right. It's okay. Um, I, uh, I, um, I. Your God I, I is a liberal God. Yes. Okay. There you go. No. <laughs> but a different kind of liberal. I don't know what's. Uh, I understand. Like, I have a lot of respect for different belief systems. And what they bring to the world. Like I don't try to say, and this is this is I think this goes back to what Brian was talking about, about being self-righteous and believing that you know everything. I really dislike it when we we judge the way other people have structured their societies um, in terms of uh, oh, this is bad for women, this is good for women, because I think that most times uh men because of their nature will attempt to make the situation for women as good as they can. Um, that does not mean that they do it in the same way we do it. It doesn't mean that they do it as well necessarily as we can do it. But generally, if you look at the the resources that they have, the situations that they're dealing with, they have tried to make things as good as they can. And uh, so most belief systems are fundamentally, I think at their core, trying to make the the world or the situation that they're in as good as they can make it. And if we look at the belief systems that people have in that understanding, then we can take what is good about each of them. um, And what we can understand the fundamental process of trying to create a belief system to deal with circumstances, to deal with the relationship between men and women, to deal with the, the, the problem of the individual and its relation to their social group and all of this, we can look at them and we can figure out the fundamental structure of all of them as, as opposed to just, just saying, Oh, this data, this data is, is misogynist or this data is anti-woman. We don't go look at it. We just look at it all and understand that, I think human nature is fundamentally good <laughs> and that we always try to, to we, we always do strive to be the best. And sometimes, you know, this all breaks down into something horrible. I'm not saying it doesn't. Well, we're watching it break down into something yeah. horrible. You know, we, sometimes it breaks down into something horrible, but generally it doesn't break down into something horrible because people are understanding each other more or trying to extend the understanding to things that, that they might, might have superficially dismissed as immoral or wrong. Mm-hmm. Usually it breaks down because of self-righteousness rather than understanding or curiosity or not know, I mean, being willing to admit that I don't, you don't know about something. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I think that the, having that curiosity is about other people, how people structure yeah. their, their world is, is, is important. I think uh, my final thought is that the idea that women have power is one of the most stigmatized concepts. Hmm. 
Yep. It's, it is. Nobody wants to talk about it because it. Well, you're just not supposed people. to talk about it, but you're supposed to know it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's like we don't want to talk about it. But if we don't talk about, we don't have those uncomfortable conversations. We don't grow, and we can't mm-hmm. keep having these un- like trying to avoid these uncomfortable conversations while pretending we're actually having them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can't solve an equation if you don't have all the variables. This is my black cat. Oh, there you go. My black yeah. cat's in the closet right now. Oh, there we go. Oh, you have an orange this and a black, the, just like me. Okay, great. This is the, the <laughs> void cat. Let's wrap it up. All right, yeah. So I can turn off my so, studio lights. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and say the final closing outro okay. stuff. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.